everyone, my name is Anna Healy and I am a life and business coach based in West Cork. I had this idea about six months ago that I wanted to interview women who have started their own business and understand what motivated them. I wanted to meet women from all over West Cork to discover their stories, to hear the lessons that they have learned through their business and celebrate their successes with them. I wanted the interview to be a relaxed conversation in a relaxed environment where we get to chat about the real life experiences of working for your own business. That meant that I called to people's homes, their offices, place of business, just to get a better sense of the woman and their business. It also meant that there are environmental noises in the recording as we were on location, so to speak. So be aware that the sound will be a little sketchy at times due to interruptions from children, partners, animals, even outside cars at times. I think it adds to the authenticity of the interview. This series of interviews has grown a wonderful following and I now realize that there are hundreds of women in West Cork who have taken the plunge into self-employment. My interviews are just a sample of the women out there working using their creativity and pushing the boundaries to make a better world for everyone. I'm getting a real buzz from these meetings and I come away inspired from all the knowledge that they impart. My hope is that you will realize that these wonderful women are just regular people like you and I. Each woman had an idea or a dream and through their courage and determination they made it happen for them. And maybe you might get some inspiration from these ladies to put your dreams into action. Hello everybody, I hope you're all keeping well and safe during these very strange times. I have a new interview for you this week. Very excited to share this interview that I had with Laura Whalen. Coincidentally, Laura actually lives uh, quite close to where I live um, and I knew very little about her um, until now um, and also because of the COVID-19, we couldn't really do the interview in person. So we agreed to try and do it through Zoom. And with all the jigs and the reels, um, I lost the interview the first time around. So Laura has very kindly to come back again to do it through Zoom. And thankfully this time around, it's all worked. So I'm really grateful to have her here. It's a very interesting story and I hope you enjoy it. But a little bit about Laura now. Laura lives in Court McSherry with her partner and five children. She is a doll maker, a celebrant, a writer and the creator of women's spaces. Her work is currently focused on the Bobogue project, which aims to make a doll for each of the 6,000 babies that are said to have died in Ireland's mother and baby homes. So I hope you enjoy this interview. It has been done through Zoom, so there are a couple of quirky bits um, in terms of sound, but the overall message is very powerful. I am here with Laura Whalen, who is a doll maker based in Cork McSherry, West Cork. Um, and I'm delighted, I should explain um, on my podcast, that um, we tried this before and we did, had an absolutely glorious meeting and we recorded everything, or at least we thought, and the whole thing kind of went belly wop, so, um, and I can't find my recording. So Laura has very kindly agreed to come back on again and uh, talk to me all about her business and life during COVID-19. Um, COVID so thank you so much for coming on again, Nora. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me again. Suitably mortified. Um, so we'll move on. Talk to me about, you know, who you are and maybe talk a little bit about your business as well. Okay. So my name's Laura Whelan and um, primarily I'm a mother. I have five children. My eldest is 14. She'll turn 15 in the summer and my youngest is three. Um, so I have a, a busy household and during this time it's busier at home anyway. Um, and aside from that, um, I do several other things, um, but primarily I'm a doll maker. I've been a doll maker for the last 10 years. Um, and the kind of dolls I make are Steiner or Waldorf dolls. So they're quite a specific kind of doll. They're, um, they, they're inspired by, by the whole Steiner school, by the Steiner ethos. Um, and they're made of completely natural materials. Um, so there's of cotton and they're stuffed with sheep's wool. Um, most of my materials are organic and locally sourced where I can. And one of the special features about them is that their um, expressions are very neutral. So they do have um, facial features, but they're very simply just um, little eyes embroidered on and a little mouth embroidered on. And they're left neutral um, for a lot of reasons, but one of which is that then the imagination can put onto the doll any emotion that it needs to have, which is useful for all sorts of, of purposes. Um, so I make a lot of different kinds of dolls. I started off really just making dolls for children. I started primarily because I wanted a doll for my son. And um, the dolls on the market are very much geared towards girls. And um, I, I didn't want to, to feel like, you know, it was a girl's thing to be playing with the doll. Um, I think that boys absolutely should play with dolls, that we expect our men to father their children these days, but we don't let them have any practice. Um, the same way little girls can practice from a very young age with dolls, mummying. Um, little boys are not encouraged to do that. The only dolls accessible for boys would be things like action men. Um, and that's a whole other story. Do you know they're kind of war type figures or, or superheroes or rescuers? So I wanted a, a doll for my son and um, the kind of doll I wanted, they can be quite expensive. And uh, so I thought I'd have a go at making them myself. And I did. And I completely fell in love with making just from the first time I did it, I completely fell in love. So I made dolls for everyone I knew <laughs> until I'd completely saturated my family and friends with dolls. Um, and then I started a small, a little Etsy shop and, and made custom order dolls really is, is what I do. So I'd, I'd very often make dolls in the image of the child. Um, I think that's particularly important for children who might not be blonde haired, blue eyed, um, you know, the way that most dolls that you can get in, in the, the, the toy superstores are. Um, so I make dolls for children who look like themselves. Um, so the dolls might have um, a different skin tone. So maybe, you know, uh, there are not very many mixed race dolls on the market at all. And I made dolls with children who have alopecia. And so there's no princess dolls with no hair on the market. Um, I made dolls for children who have had, you know, who have medical issues. So I've made 
a doll for a girl who is an amputee. I've made dolls for children who've had heart surgery. So they have scars down their chest, just like the people that, that own them. Um, I made a doll with a, a blood bag and a transfusion kit for a little girl who has a, a rare blood disorder and has to have um, biannual Blood, blood transfusions so she was her mom told me this amazing story when she got her doll and they went for their first transfusion together and she was only uh, I think she was only just turned three and she saw her doll with the bag which I'd made out of felt to look just I got her mom to send me a photograph of the blood bag and everything and um, she said oh, her too and so she really felt this oh, it's not just me. And it was really nice for her mom to be able to, because when little children can't always express words, how they feel about what's happening. Um, so I've, yeah, I've been making those sorts of dolls and I still make um, dolls like that. And um, very quickly then into my doll making journey, or my dolls were, so they were healing for those children, but I've made a lot of dolls for women for healing purposes as well. Um, perhaps women who were, had trauma in their childhood. Um, so I made dolls for one lady who was so awfully abused as a child that she shattered into hundreds of pieces. So in America, it's, that's where she's based. It's called DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder. Here, it, we don't have that diagnosis for it. Here, we call it Multiple Personality Disorder. Um, and many of her personalities are children. And one of the ways that she heals them was by allowing them to choose a doll. Um, so they would communicate with me through email. Um, and you could, you know, it was just really beautiful process to be able to do that for her and, and to be part of her healing journey. And I've made dolls for women who um, have gone to, onto the stand to testify against abusers and needed something to hold. Um, I've made dolls for women who can't have children. I've made dolls for women who've lost children. I've made, yeah, some incredible, some incredible dolls, incredible work. Um, and in the moment I'm do, I do quite a lot of inner child dolls. So they would be very small kind of palm sized representations of a person's inner for all different reasons, particularly because it can be nice to, to hold something on the outside and externalize your love for yourself, if that's still difficult for you, being able to, to show yourself love, to show your inner child love on the inside, it can be quite nice to have a physical representation of that that you can care for. Um, yeah, and so at the moment, um, aside from mothering and doll making, I'm working on a really big doll project called the Babok Project. Um, so I might tell you a little bit about that. So um, nearly two years ago, um, a friend of mine um, was telling me a part of her story and she told me that she was born in a mother and baby home and um, she was adopted when she was around about two and around about that time so she has a trauma around that and when we were talking together I said oh I'd love to make you all to represent that that child that two-year-old so that you can hold her for a little bit. So she described to me what, you know, the clothes she remembers having and what she looked like at that age. And I made her little doll and I gave it to her and she found it really helpful and really healing. And she loved having this little representation of herself. And then she asked me, would I make um, representations of her siblings who were also born in mother and baby homes? One of whom was her little brother, Stephen, who died there when he was five weeks old. And he's buried in a, 
a mass unmarked grave in Dunleary. And so I did. I, I made these sibling dolls. And when I was making Stephen's doll, um, as I held him, I just cried and I cried and cried. And I really felt that, oh my goodness, every baby that this happened to, you know, who died in this way and who's buried in this way, should have somebody holding them in their hearts for just a couple of hours, if nothing else. Um, and that was probably around about the time that I, I heard about the Truman babies. Um, and so I thought, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a doll for every baby that died in the mother and baby homes. And um, then I started looking into the numbers and the, the estimate is around about 6,000. And then I realized, well, I can't make 6,000 dolls on my own. So that was the beginning of the Bubble Project. So I got together with a few friends and who helped me set up a Facebook page and, um, you know, started the first few steps. And um, we put together a pattern uh, that we could email to people. And that was the beginning of it. And, and it's, yeah, it's growing. And at the moment, we're nearly halfway there. And by the end of the summer, I would hope that I would have $3,000 here made by people all over the world who've been touched by, by the story and who've been touched by the, the whole issues around the mother and baby homes. Um, so it's incredible work. And I'm very humbled to be part of it. That's so powerful. Mm. That is really so powerful. And it is, I suppose I'm just thinking, like it is such um, a big secret or some sort of a kind of a, a gap in our culture and it's in our psyche, it's in our, you know, it, it, it's in our blood, you know, um, and yet mm -hmm. 6,000 babies, you know. Um, yeah, that's very true. I mean, when you look at the statistics, around about 40,000 women went through the mother and baby homes. So that's, that's 40,000 women, 40,000 men who fathered the children. Um, that's 80,000 sets of you know, parents on each side then, and then their grandparents and the aunts and uncles and the siblings and the neighbours. And the, you know, it's huge. It just touches everybody. Um, and it's really interesting. It's, a, it's one of those things, parts of our history, where we sometimes know that it's part of our history, but we don't really know it's part of our history. So I was talking with a lady today who's become involved in the project and she said, oh, my goodness, I just realized it's just connected with me. My mother was in my old eldest brother was born in a mother and baby home. And, you know, she won't hear there's certain music she can't hear because it reminds her of it. And she said, but I knew this all my life. I've known this. But it wasn't until she started, you know, connecting with the Bubble Project that she knew the experience of her mother. And then she was like, wow. And I was in that womb after, you know, after, after that trauma had happened within that space. And I, I was conceived and grew for the first nine months of my life in that space. And I was like, wow, it's amazing, Do you know, that not only is she connecting with this work, um, you know, to, to contribute, but she's also really healing something within herself and within her family line. Um, mm. And I think, that, um, like for me, so obviously you can hear by my accent, I'm not Irish, um, but my daughters are born here and my daughters are Irish. And, um, you know, I, I gave birth here. I had all of my children in Ireland. So I came 
I, this from the point of view as a mother and a point of view of a woman. And I really feel that this, you know, we need to look at this and we need to take this. It really feels like a wound to me. We need to look at this wound and we need to clean it. But, you know, we need to wash it clean and we need to allow it to heal. And that, that work, we have to do that because our daughters are going to grow up in this land with this unhealed wound, you know, the, the mm. shame and there's still connotations of that still there. And if we want to move on and allow everybody to move on and, and are, for us to grow up healthier people, um, then it's our responsibility to look at this. Um, mm. And I think the Babog project is good because it's not an angry look at this. Um, it's not a, a blaming. There's you don't have to hate the church or hate the state or be be angry with them. All the Babog project about is loving those babies. Do you know? And everybody can do that. That's accessible to everybody. Not everyone will have has the anger in them or wants to protest or wants to. Um, you know, allow a deal of negativity into their, their lives and in their bodies while they're making these dolls. But that it's a pure act of love. And I think that's actually an enormous revolution in itself, you know, mm. that we're moving away from this, you know, we're shaming people and we're shaming women and children. We're going, no, actually, we don't. We're not shaming anybody. We're loving them. And I think that's a, a huge act of revolution for, for Irish, Irish culture. And, and I guess worldwide culture, you know, mother and baby homes existed all over the world. It's about giving permission, really, isn't it? I mean, there were so many secrets and lies, you know, I suppose for, for a long time, we'll say hidden. All this stuff was hidden. Or at least yeah. it was, as you said, it wasn't noticed or it was just accepted or it the shame bit around it as well but now if we can just give it permission for people to grieve to process mm -hmm. to acknowledge it and just not exactly move on but just to you know as you said integrate it and yes. learn from it you know? yes yeah absolutely yeah I think that's really important and I think yeah I think you hit the nail on the head there that it's um it's not about moving on it's about owning it owning part of this history um, and just letting it be. Do you know, there is no judgment. As far as I'm concerned, there is no judgment for any of the stories. Every story is different. Um, and, and they're all of equal importance. Um, and that's, you know, again, why the, the each doll is so amazing because they, each one is just as important. Each one is completely unique, completely individual, just as each story and each baby is completely unique and completely individual mm. and talk to me about your plan then from like when you have your six thousand dolls um what happens then so it's going to be made into a traveling exhibition so um we're hoping that it's going to go to particularly to the towns where the major homes were i think that would be incredibly powerful to bring that amount of love back to those places um, I think it would be a huge statement of where we're at now um, with, with all of it. Um, I, however, I also know that there are more places already who have said that they would like the exhibition to, to, to come to them. Um, but the, the whole project, you know, although I have started it, 
I don't have really strong designs about what should happen to the dolls at the end. I really feel that's an organic process. And I think that, um, you know, particularly survivors have a voice that we need to listen to. Um, and I'm very open to, and the whole project is very open to what will happen at the end. We have had an offer from the Museum of Childhood Ireland, which are hoping to open a premises. It might not be next year now with everything, but um, you know, within the next couple of years, I have to give the dolls a permanent home, which is amazing. Um, but again, I, you know, I'm not going to make that decision just on my own. That, that will happen in time, but they, they will travel and people will have the opportunity to go and see them. Um, and we're hoping the exhibition is not going to be just the dolls. It's The project's really inspired a lot of other things. So there's actually someone writing a novel about the project right now. That, yeah, there's songwriters. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, people are doing, so there's transition year projects and there is, someone's doing their degree thesis about it and so there's a lot of other things that are, are coming as well you know there's songs being written and poetry so it, you know there's this it's so beautiful so it should be a you know incredible exhibition with this work um it's a movement towards the end. yeah 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 it's amazing um it really seems to touch people and um yeah so I, I'm really looking forward to, to, to watching that develop and seeing how that unfolds and, and admiring people's amazing capacity to create um, and, and to work with people doing that is, is very exciting um, and very humbling as well. Yeah. Wow. That's fine. So that's the plan. That's mm. um, okay. Just in terms of Laura in the middle of all of this then, um how does laura manage all of these different um projects and family life and you know your doll making mm. so there, there's a lot going on there and then that's and that was on a normal day we'll call it if we were allowed to say normal yeah. anymore um and now we have you know coronavirus we have COVID-19 thrown into the mix of this. How, where's Laura in all of this then? Well, I mean, I suppose the coronavirus for, for me, it has stripped back a lot of what I was doing. So it's stripped away, you know, a lot of these kind of outside layers of myself. I'm not Rami anymore. I don't have to do that. Um, or, or ferrying people to and from different activities. Um, my my doll making has slowed right down. Um, up until a couple of days ago, my, my sewing machine had even broken, so I wasn't able to make any dolls at all. Um, and I can't offer workshops because obviously I am, we can't meet. And um, I'm, I'm also a celebrant and I have to, unfortunately, the, the weddings I was officiating over the next couple of months, they've been postponed until at least next year as well. Um, so a lot of things got stripped back for me. But the, on the other hand, I'm now mothering five children and homeschooling five children. And my partner is here as well, full time. Um, so there's a lot going on at home. And so to keep myself, it's about staying grounded um, for me to be able to, to manage. So even before, while I was so busy 
outside as well it's about staying grounded so I have quite a strong practice or, or set of practices that I use so I get up quite early in the morning before any child gets out of bed so that I have at least an hour or two to myself and I, I you know I have I go running or um, walking and I have a yoga practice and a meditation practice and um, I journal as well and um, so I have these things that, that set me up in the morning um, to keep my feet on the ground and then I do the same at the end of the day as well I, I have a little kind of a bedtime routine and I very often will put myself to bed as I put the children to bed you know I settle myself down I give myself a bath and read a bit of a read a bit of a book and um, you know keep everything nice and calm so that I can get a good night's sleep because that for me is quite key having had so many years of broken sleep um, I know that you know having a good night's sleep makes an enormous amount of difference to how I'm, I can manage and I think as well um, trying to stay aware of how I'm actually feeling moment to moment and keeping on top of my basic needs so um, I make sure I eat well and that the food I eat is nourishing and will satisfy me as well so that I don't end up being very hangry between meals because I can get quite I'm quite hangry <laughs> Um, make sure I drink enough water and I go outside like I really notice it if I have a day where I don't go outside I really feel the difference um, making sure that I kind of nourish myself like so body and mind and soul so I think like my meditation practice is you know nourishment for the soul and then I find that like having conversations like these or reading a really interesting book or listening to an interesting podcast finding time for those sorts of things helps me feel good within myself as well so yeah so looking after myself my my basic needs um I really try and focus on that is there anything any new practices that you might take on or is there something you've noticed that you're just going to leave behind um i think at the moment i certainly feel more empowered to say no um to really tune in i i feel like there's there's possibly going to be times where we're trying to reintegrate and be, find normal again and my idea of normal isn't for my children in particular isn't face masks and social distancing um and i'm i'm kind of just become very aware recently that i'm i feel okay even if it's not even if it's going against the norm of trying to get back to normal life i feel okay at saying no we're just going to wait so if schools are going to reopen September but the children will have to wear masks and social distance then I feel okay saying okay we're just going to keep homeschooling until they can go to school in, a, in the way they were before um, and the same with me and my activities um, if I don't feel I don't feel like I want to socialize with masks on or not being able to hug my friends or then I'll just wait rather than putting myself in a situation where it feels really difficult for me and um, really unnatural way of being with people. Yeah, but I also don't know what's coming after this. I don't know what change this is going to bring. Um, and I think I'm also allowing myself to be in this not knowing space. So it's what I would call a liminal space. It's a space outside of everyday life. It's a space outside of normal. 
and part of my celebrancy work is is guiding people through that space actually um so and i feel like as a collective we're in a liminal space at this moment and so it's i am treating the space with reverence i'm treating the space as um a clearing to just try and be calm as true to myself as possible um and i don't know how that looks sorry i don't know how how that's supposed to be all i know is to try and become my most natural version of myself um because i don't know what's coming after this there's change happening there's change happening for all of us and i think that if we can allow ourselves to be in this space of not knowing um and to just be okay with that uh i think then that means that it makes that it, it leaves more openness for what might come in the future if we don't have a, a definite plan of right i'm going to be this or i'm going to do this if we just let the wind blow us a little bit um yeah I, and i that's helping me as well that i don't feel like i'm not pressuring myself to reinvent myself for when this all ends it'll just happen it's about holding things lightly isn't it it's about allowing yeah, things to absolutely kind of go alongside you you know mm. yeah that's yeah that's right kind of instead of trying to to push the world do you know just along on on top of the street to take us where it's going to take us i think trying to hold on to a normal we had or trying to project a new normal onto something is actually just going to create stress and and hard work whereas i feel like if we if we can just let go a little bit and trust that it is all going to be okay and i firmly believe it is all going to be okay that um it actually opens an enormous world of possibility because we're not closing our mind to what might come so if somebody wants to make contact with you laura how how can people i suppose reach out to you um well particularly for the babog project so if people would like to get involved in the babog project we still need 3000 odd dolls um and we would be delighted if people would like to to get involved so you don't need to be a great crafts person you can make the doll in any way you want to um we've got lots of free patterns as well available and they're all on our website and all details about um how to how to get involved there's more history about the project and the patterns as i said are there with the address where people can send them to so the website address is www.thebabogproject.com and there's also it has our facebook page um there's a button there as well and the same for email address people can contact us that way and can contact me that way okay and just for um, spelling purposes would you just spell bubble there so that everybody knows yeah, what it's b so it's uh, you actually spell it with two fathers but for the purposes of the website it's b a b o g so it's the babogproject.com Okay. Um and if people wanted to get in touch with me about uh, the other dolls that I make and um, the custom order dolls they can find me the best thing to do is to google um under rainbows and you should find me that way. Um Laura thank you so much for coming on again. Um and you're um, welcome. <laughs> many thanks to Laura Whalen for taking that time to speak with me. 
about the Bobo project and all the work, the beautiful work that she does with her therapy dolls. I must say my spine was tingling when she was talking to me. I just absolutely loved every piece of what she talked about. What also resonated with me is how Laura lives, chooses to live her life. She seems very clear in her values very clear about what's important to her and what's necessary in her life. And I admire that she is living her values. And that's not an easy task because all of us, if we stop and listen to ourselves, we will all work out what our values are. But sometimes it can be quite difficult, especially when there's so many outside distractions that sometimes it's very hard to live really closely to our values. Um, and I really admire Laura for doing that. She does it through her own practice of self-care and meditation and relaxation and she does it through spending time with her family. She does it through her work through the therapy dolls and, and ultimately the Bobo project as well. It is something I think we all strive to do is to live as close to our values as possible. It's wonderful that, you know, in spite of all the challenges that are happening at the moment, it appears that it's helping some people to come back, come back to themselves and to reassess and to maybe remind themselves of what their values are. So thanks again to Laura Whalen. If any of this resonates with you or if you feel like you need um, support around coaching in terms of life or business, give me a call. You can email me on anna at annahealy.ie.